Awesome. Well, I'm excited. Is anybody thankful that God saved you? Anybody thankful that God sent Jesus? Anybody thankful that God sent the Holy Spirit? Come on, He leads us and guides us into all truth. Anybody thankful for the wisdom of God? Anybody want more wisdom? Anybody want more wisdom? Take your wisdom. All right. Hey, we're so excited today because today we're going to be talking about this wonderful word called wisdom. I'm going to read you very quickly a wonderful song or hymn or writing from the book of Job in Job chapter 28 verses 1. It's quite long. I'm going to read it to you because it's incredibly powerful. It says, We all know how silver seems the rocks. We've seen the stuff from which gold is refined. We are aware of how iron is dug out of the ground and copper is smelted from rock. Miners penetrate the earth's darkness, searching the roots of the mountains for ore, digging away in the suffocating darkness. Far from civilization, far from the traffic, they cut a shaft and they lower it into uh, and, and, and are lowered into by ropes. The earth's surface is a field for grain, but its depths are a forge. Firing, furring sapphires from stones and chiseling gold from rocks. Vultures are blind to its riches. Hawks never lay eyes on it. Wild animals are oblivious to it. Lions don't know it's there. Miners ham away at the rock. They uproot the mountains. They tunnel through the rock and find all kinds of beautiful gems. They discover the origins of rivers and bring earth's secrets to light. Men in and of themselves are quite incredible characters. People, when we want something, we work hard to get it. Amen? Verse 12 says, But where, oh where, will they find wisdom? Where does insight hide? Mortals don't have a clue, haven't the slightest idea where to look. Earth's depths say it's not here, and ocean deeps echo, never heard of it. It can't be bought with the finest gold, no amount of silver can get it. Even famous Ophir gold can't buy it, not even diamonds and sapphires, neither gold nor emeralds are comparable. Extravagant jewelry can't touch it. Pearl necklaces, ruby bracelets, why bother? None of this is even a down payment on wisdom. Pile gold and African diamonds as high as you will, they can't hold a candle to wisdom. So where does wisdom come from? And where does insight live? It can't be found by looking no matter how deep you dig, no matter how high you fly. If you search through the graveyard and question the dead, they say we've only heard rumors of it. God alone knows the way to wisdom. He, he knows the exact place to find it. He knows where everything is on earth. He sees everything under heaven. And he commands the winds to blow and measured out the waters arranged for the rain and set off explosions of thunder and lightning. He focused on wisdom, made sure it was all set and tested and ready. Then he addressed the human race. Here it is. Fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And insight means shunning evil. Humanity in and of itself, 
can do a lot of things. And humanity, people, when we want something, most of the time we are willing to do whatever we can to get it. And I want to look at this scripture and challenge us that as, as much as humanity strives and works to find the pleasures of this world, as much as humanity strives and works to find gold and money to function and live, would we be the kind of people that do whatever it takes to find wisdom? Because wisdom, according to God, is far greater than any earthly riches you can find. And you can dig into the ground and you will not find wisdom because wisdom, genuine wisdom, comes from one place and that is from Almighty God. Amen? James chapter 1, verses 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his Ways. If anyone lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? By showing of hands, does anybody lack wisdom? And all the people that kept their hand down, you lack wisdom. Because if you had any, you would have put your hand up. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God for it. And God will give it. But when you ask, don't ask Doubting, don't be double-minded because what man who in his double-mindedness is supposed to receive anything from the Lord? What I want us to understand contextually here is that this is looking at wisdom, not in a general sense, but it's encompassed in wisdom within the trials of life. It's the, it's the context that we understand in, in verse James 1, 2 through about 18. We're looking at addressing the reality that our faith will be tested and real faith will endure. Our faith will be tested and James is exhorting us to find joy in that testing. And then James is saying, and there's something else you're going to need. It's called wisdom to help you get through this endurance of this test. James 1, 2, we read it last week. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God for it. I want us to very quickly look at this phrase in verse 4. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. This little word let is really important this morning because it suggests that we must have a submissive will to allow our trial to forge us into a place of maturity. 
It's submitting to the process. Trials can either make you or they can break you. And a good way to let a trial break you is not to submit to what God wants to do in you while you're walking through it. James is telling us that trials will come and if we can can submit to the process, do you guys say process or process? Process. Process. P-R-A-C-E. Process. We submit to the process. If we submit to the process, we will find joy in the midst of trials, faith to endure the trials, and the result will be spiritual maturity. Many of us, if not all of us, know somebody who was once on fire for Jesus. But because of circumstances, because of situations, because of tests and because of trials, they now no longer are following Jesus. And most of the time, people that we know, or maybe it's been you, you were once burning for the Lord, you were passionate and excited about it, and because of seasons, because of tragedy, because of the pressures of life, people have walked away from God, and they sort of live in these two categories. They either believe in Jesus but no longer trust Him or want to follow Him, or they completely reject the reality of God in any space. Anybody know someone like that? Anybody know someone who's been burning for Jesus, but because of the tests of life, they were unable to endure, their faith was tested, and now they're no longer working with the Lord. You see, the reason is that they were thrust into a test, or potentially many tests, but they did not endure. They weren't able to persevere. They were unable to persevere. And rather than ending up having their true faith matured, they had their false faith destroyed. Because tests come, we looked at that last week. True faith in Christ will always endure. And the person who carries it out will be perfected. I'm not saying that people with true faith are perfect, but I'm saying that they will be perfected and matured because they endured. And many times we have every sense or feeling that we've been let down or turned aside and we think I could turn my back on Christ, yet True faith, people who have true faith remain steadfast and they persevere. They hold on. Truth faith sings the world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. My situation behind me, my eyes on Jesus, I'm following him come hell or high water. True faith looks beyond the temporary moment of pain into eternal hope and glory in Jesus Christ. That's true faith. False faith is an empty faith. It's a faith based on circumstantial comfort and emotion. It's reliant upon the waves keeping still 
the storm staying on the horizon and the tests being easy. When it comes to trials, tests and challenges, false faith, faith will be revealed in the fire. True faith will be refined in the fire. Because the proof is in the pudding. And when the pressure comes, we find out what's on the inside. A child may tell you that they know how to swim, but the best way to find out is to pick them up, throw them in the pool. You find out real quick if it's an empty statement of faith or an actual reality in their life. James is telling us that the key to true persevering faith through trials is this wonderful thing called wisdom. Wisdom in trials. Again, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, meaning everybody, without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We're not just looking at a general idea of wisdom but rather we're looking into a contextual key to unlock the wisdom of God that will enable us to endure regardless of the test or trial in front of us. It's not the wisdom of the world, because there's a worldly wisdom. We can see it all through the universities. They know a lot and do a lot of stupid things. You can know a lot and disregard the reality of what you know and be a fool. So there's a wisdom of the world, but we're not looking at the wisdom of the world. We're looking at the wisdom of God. And what more could we want than divine insight to understand and respond properly to every trial that we come across? Would we agree that the best kind of wisdom to have in a trial is the wisdom of the divine? is the wisdom of the one who forged and fashioned the world. The wisdom of the one that painted the sky with the stars. This is the wisdom that we have access to if we would ask. And so today our assignment is to answer two questions. One, what is wisdom? And two, how do we get wisdom? Because we all believe we lack wisdom. And so we need to figure out what is wisdom and how do we get it? Correct? Number one, what is wisdom? Guys, I just have to, this little hair is really, does anyone have any gel or a coming? It's going to distract me for the next three hours as I get through this. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the capacity of the mind that allows us to understand life from God's perspective. I, I, I read one person describe 
the wisdom of God in that we are looking at the underside of a tapestry that's being put together. This tapestry is being formed and we see these things and it looks messy and it looks uncertain until he flips the tapestry over and we see the divine will and wisdom of God has been working all the way through every crevice of the tapestry. Wisdom is the capacity of the mind that allows us to understand life from God's perspective. You know, perspective is important. I remember once I was dating a girl in high school. I was convinced we were to be married. She was it. There's no other way. This is the one. And I had a friend, and he's like, Joel, I need to tell you something. He's like, you're looking at this person from your perspective. He goes, but I'm sitting up on a ladder over here, looking in on the situation, and she's holding a knife behind her back. And she's going to kill you. Perspective's important. Yeah? So wisdom is our capacity to do our best to understand the world, the trials, the success, and the challenge from God's perspective. Wisdom is the quality of discerning what is true, what is right, and what should be done. Wisdom is both knowledge and the ability to make use of that knowledge. Wisdom is functioning in the obedience to the will of God and to the Word of God. Biblical wisdom equals disciplined understanding, faithful believing, and diligent out. Working. This is the wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, it can be found in a book. The wisdom of God. To see the world from God's perspective. Wisdom is not just knowing about God, not knowing, not just knowing the Word of God, but it's walking step by step in the Word of God, in the will of God. It's actioning that which we know from the divine into our daily lives. That's why wisdom in a trial is really important. Because whatever you're going through, maybe your marriage is on the rocks about to break, you need God's perspective. If you're looking from your perspective, it's very frustrating. I tell young people all the time, like, I just don't know if she's good looking enough. And I'm like, let me tell you, at 3 a.m. in the morning, you don't care what people look like if you're in the midst of the world's biggest argument. They could be the quote unquote most beautiful woman in the world, and when they are frustrating the life out of you, looks aren't important. Any married people agree? This is the reality. And so we need to understand that we need God's perspective. When you have a business deal in front of you, and the best way to make it the best deal is to cut a couple of corners because you're going to receive something, it's difficult to say no. And that's why you need God's perspective. That's why you need God's wisdom in the matter. Raising children. You are going to have to have God's perspective, patience, kindness. We need God's perspective. So wisdom is the capacity for us to function, 
to know and act according to God's perspective. Amen? Which leads us to number two. How do we get wisdom? I'll read a story. A young man once approached Socrates and asked the philosopher how he could acquire wisdom and knowledge. Follow me, Socrates said in response. And he led the young man down to the sea. The young man followed as Socrates began wading through the water, first at ankle, then knee, then waist, then finally to shoulder height. Then rather abruptly, Socrates grabbed the young man and dunked him under the water. The young man struggled desperately, and just before he blacked out, Socrates pulled him up. Infuriated, the young man screamed, What are you doing? Trying to kill me? Calmly, Socrates responded, Absolutely not. If that was my intention, I would not have pulled you up. Then why did you do just that? The young man gasped. When you want wisdom and insight as badly as you desire the breath of air, then you shall have it, Socrates replied while looking at the man in the eyes. Then he turned to the shore and walked away. How do we get wisdom? We need to want it. How do we get godly wisdom? We need to want it. We need to search for it in the heart of God. As much as we work for the finances of the world, as much as we work and dress to get affirmation from people we don't even know, we put in so much effort to impress the world. And here we need to understand, how do you get wisdom? You need to want it. And sometimes discipline is doing what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. You know, I, I want to be really strong, but if the momentary comfort, the desire for comfort outweighs the desire for strength, then I'm going to stay weak. We have to want wisdom more than we want this world. And it has to be stirred with it. We can keep on going. We'll get through life. But if we want to live life according to God's wisdom, we have to want, we have to desire His wisdom. Amen? James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The first way to get wisdom is to understand its value and where it comes from. We saw in the writing of Job, it's valuable and it comes from God. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is more valuable than anything this world can offer. And yet so often, or sorry, how often do we work and sweat to get it? It comes from God. He is the source of knowledge and wisdom. And God is the giver of wisdom. Because the one who has the wisdom, 
has the ability to give the wisdom. But you have not because you ask not. You could want my new boots, but you never asked for them. Now, I'm not God. I probably won't give them to you. But you never know if you don't ask. God is the source of wisdom and He's the giver of wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? We need to know where it comes from. We don't need to know how valuable it is, that it's worth working and asking for. And that's number two, is that we need to humble ourselves and ask for it. God's got it. The thing, though, is that we have to humble ourselves and ask for it. Because if you're anything like me, I'm a problem solver. And if I create a problem, I want to fix it. And if someone else has a problem, I want to fix it. And so I try and fix things. And sometimes I have to humble myself to ask God to teach me how to fix it. Point in case, preparing for this sermon. I found a bit of a roadblock and I was frustrated and trying to figure out the best way to clearly articulate what we want to say for this portion of our series and I couldn't get it and I was sitting there reading saying if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask for it I'm like how do I tell everybody this then it hit me I need to ask for wisdom on how to do it so I repented sorry God and I asked for wisdom and now you're going to hear the best sermon you've ever heard in your life because it's the wisdom of God God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. What's it saying? Proud people don't come to Him. Humble people do. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble enough to understand that our wisdom is limited. Those who consider themselves wise in this world foolish. But those who consider themselves foolish, they are wise. Even a fool looks smart when he keeps his mouth shut. We have to understand our wisdom is limited, so we need to humble ourselves when we're walking through trials to stop and ask God for His perspective. What trial are you going through right now that maybe you haven't stopped to consider to ask God His perspective? Now, understanding God's ways are higher than our ways, which, doesn't, which means you're not always going to like His way. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have preferred a different way than standing in the fire. Yet there they persevered and they pushed through. I'm sure Daniel would have preferred never to get into the lion's den. But God's ways are better than our ways. And so we need to stop and ask God, what is your perspective for this moment? And number three is we need to have confidence in who we are asking. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We have the source of wisdom, God. We have the humility to ask the source for the wisdom. And our generous God, He's generous, it says. It says He will not hold back anything from those who ask in faith. However, the one requirement to receive this divine wisdom is that we must ask, well, so that our asking must flow from a genuine faith and a genuine commitment to God. Because James is saying, if you're doubting, if you're double-minded, don't suppose you'll get anything. It's pretty confronting. Anyone ever doubted before? Anyone ever wanted God to do something and you're double-minded? You're unsure if He's going to come through? Sheesh. No wonder I don't have anything. It's important to note that this kind of doubt, this kind of doubter, is not someone who wonders whether a specific request will be answered. Or someone who's in the midst of a test or a trial, or a situation that is stretching their faith to a point of it's hard to believe for breakthrough. This is addressing someone who is double-minded. Someone who is unsure of God. Someone who has kept one foot in the waters of the world, and one foot pretending to worship God. This is those who have a false faith, that won't endure. Because if you don't have the wisdom of God, you won't be able to endure the trials that life has. And the people that don't have the wisdom of God are going to be those who are trying to keep one foot wet in the pleasures of the world while trying to reap the benefits of being in the kingdom of God. It's someone who is lukewarm. A double-minded person is someone who is not wholly committed to God. James says later in the letter in James 4.3, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. A double-minded man is someone who wants the benefits of God's blessing and salvation while holding on to the pleasures of this world and the lusts of the flesh. Someone who endeavors to serve God and mammon to try and reap the benefits of both situations. And James tells us such a person will ask of the Lord, but they will not get from the Lord. This isn't someone who's really being tested. This isn't somebody who's branching out in faith and trust to believe for someone to be sick, but there's this little thing in the back of their mind saying, oh my gosh, is this even going to work? This double-mindedness is somebody who's not jumped into the river of following Jesus. Savannah once said it to me so well. She said, the best way to not be tossed to and fro from the waves of the world is to immerse yourself in the deep. When you're in the shallows of the shore and the waves come, 
you get wrecked. I used to live on a beach in South Africa where the, water, the, the sand went down like this and the waves would curl up and slam you. It's actually quite fun. But if you don't want to be tossed to and fro, you got to get past the shore, into the deep, and you're one with the waves. A double-minded man is someone who says, I don't know if Jesus is the one. We need to be single-minded, fully convinced of our devotion to God. To be single-minded is to say, I'm going to obey. I'm not going to have two loyalties. I'm going to have one loyalty. I don't want to date two people. I want to pick one person. I want one loyalty. And I don't want my loyalty to be divided. Because when we're convinced and single-minded, we can ask for wisdom and receive divine wisdom divine perspective to endure anything that comes our way. And the fourth and final way to get wisdom is to fear God. Job says at the end of verse chapter 28, verse 28, he says, and he said to the man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you have no fear of the Lord, it's because you truly don't believe in the Lord. Or you do, but you have no cares for the consequence of rejecting Him. For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of judgment and eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. For the believer, the fear of God is reverence and awe, like standing in front of a lion. It's majestic. It's beautiful. Looks very comfortable. But you fear it. Hebrews 12, 28 gives us a great picture. It says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. On this Father's Day, don't forget your Father is a consuming fire. Why is the fear of Lord the beginning of wisdom? It's because when you genuinely fear the Lord, you will take your foot out of the waters of the world real quickly. When you genuinely fear the Lord, you're not to be double-minded. You'll understand, I need to pick which way I'm going. 
to not be lukewarm because lukewarm is vomited out of God's mouth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because when you fear God, you understand His greatness, His majesty. There's no comparison. There's none like Him. He made everything out of nothing. And you understand when I fear the one who took dirt and created me is the beginning of wisdom because his perspective is best. Believers are not to be scared of God. We have no reason to be scared of God. We have his promises that say nothing can separate us from the love of God. The fear of God is respecting God, obeying God, submitting to His discipline, and worshiping Him in reverence and awe. Wisdom is found in asking God without doubting. We don't doubt because we respect Him, because we obey Him, because we honor Him, because we worship Him, and ultimately, because we trust Him and have confidence in who He is and what He says. I'm going to close with this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. James says, when you're walking through the fiery trials of life, consider it joy. By looking beyond the moment of pain into your eternal hope in Jesus. Remain steadfast and let submit to the process and let steadfastness do its perfect work in you, creating you in a place to a place of mat- spiritual maturity to be better than you were before. And how do we do it? We ask God. For wisdom. As I've been studying it, I've been challenged. There are areas I jump straight into God. What's your wisdom? What's your perspective? And there are other areas where I realize I'm just leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning on the way that seems right to a man. And Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in everything, acknowledge God. Seek what's available to you, the divine wisdom of the creator of the heavens and earth. James opens up this letter just firing. Does anybody lack wisdom? Does anybody want more wisdom? So ask Him. Don't be a doubter. Don't have one foot trusting the world. 
one foot trusting God. Don't have one foot trusting the boyfriend who's manipulating you while you know God's telling you to walk away. Don't be double-minded because you're going to ask for wisdom and He's going to say, you're not going to listen anyway. Put both feet in and say, God, it's your way or the highway. I want your wisdom. I'm disciplined. I'm going to be disciplined and getting understanding. And when I understand it, I'm going to be faithful to believe it. And when I believe it, it transforms me from the inside out and I will be diligent to outwork the wisdom that I believe so I can walk in this life like Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, we want more wisdom. We want to be a wise church. The world might think we're foolish. The wisdom of God's foolishness to men. But I'd rather be a fool for Christ than wise in this world. Amen? Let me pray for us.